0: Good morning again. It's good to be with you all. If you want to open up with me in your copy of Scripture to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. We'll be looking there to God's Word this morning. If you were here with us last week, we began this short series that we're doing on the attributes of God. We're looking at some of these great doctrines that the church has confessed for the last 2,000 years that are contained in our confession of faith and that are very important to what we believe about God and what we understand when we talk about the doctrine of God. And last week we looked at the attribute of God's incomprehensibility. God's incomprehensibility, this idea that the finite creature cannot comprehend, cannot exhaust or fully understand the infinite essence of our God, that our God is incomprehensible, that even though we can know God as He has revealed Himself in His Word and in His works, we cannot know Him exhaustively. This is the doctrine of God's incomprehensibility. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of God's aseity. The doctrine of God's aseity, or God's independence his fullness of life that is in and of himself, or we could say the doctrine of God's self-sufficiency. The doctrine of God's self-sufficiency, that he is sufficient in and of himself. Now, we use this word in our day very frequently. Now, in America, we love this idea of self-sufficiency, right? We love the idea of independence, of autonomy, self-governing, self-sustaining, we even have a term that we refer to people that maybe began from humble beginnings, maybe they began in poverty and they worked their way up to the top of their field or became well off. We call them self made. We call them self made. A person is self made when they began at the bottom and worked their way to the top. This, in many ways, is in many ways, is the, the American dream to be self-sufficient, to be self-made. And these are not bad things, right? They're not, it's not bad to want to be self-sufficient, to try to um, come from humble beginnings and, and work your way to the top of your field. There's nothing bad about this. There's a sense in which these things are good. But radical conceptions of this self-sufficiency have worked their way into modern religion, modern philosophy, and modern science to the point where leading physicists and those in the world of philosophy can say things like, we no longer need God. We have no need for the God of the Bible. We are actually independent of God because of evolution or because of um, um, quantum physics, right? There's no need for God. We can explain our existence apart from God. We are sufficient in and of ourselves. There's this radical conception of self-sufficiency that's worked its way into our everyday lives. But in our atheistic and materialistic worldview that surrounds us, we see that we have forgotten one important thing, and that's that we did not create ourselves. We did not create ourselves. We are not self-made in the ultimate and absolute sense of that word. We are not independent of our Creator. And what we're going to see today as we look at the doctrine of God's aseity is we're going to see that there is only one who is truly independent and utterly self-sufficient for his own existence, and it's not us. It is God. It is God, the one who simply is the I Am who alone is sufficient in and of himself and depends upon no one to be the God that he is. And in fact, we are the ones who depend upon him for our very being and our very existence. The one that gives us life and breath and everything. And in the fullness of time, the same one that took on flesh to accomplish our salvation in the person and the work of Christ. So that's what we're going to see today. So I'm going to read our passage this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will look to God's Word. I'm going to begin this morning reading from verse 9 just to give us some context, but we'll be looking specifically at verses 14 and 15. This is the Word of the Lord. This is the, the Lord speaking to Moses at the burning bush. He says, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you that it reveals to us not only the way of salvation found in the person and work of Christ, but it reveals to us yourself, your being, your attributes, and your perfections And we pray this morning that as we come to your word, you would, by the power of your Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts to see the truth that you have revealed to us more clearly, and that you would write these things upon our hearts. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at three things this morning as we talk about this doctrine of God's aseity the first thing we're going to look at is the doctrine of aseity that seems like a good place to start what is the doctrine of aseity what does this word even mean the second thing we're going to look at is the independence and the self-sufficiency of God by looking at Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 and then finally we'll conclude by looking at the sufficiency of Christ So first we need to talk about this doctrine of aseity. One author said that the doctrine of aseity lies at the very heart of the doctrine of God. But if it lies at the heart of the doctrine of God, you might be thinking to yourself, what is this word? (laughs) I've never heard this word before. I don't know what this word means. How can this doctrine of Osseity lie at the heart of our doctrine of God. And you can see on the handout there, we've we placed a definition there for you. This doctrine of aseity, this word aseity comes from the Latin word ase, meaning of himself. That when we speak about God's aseity, what we're saying is that God is independent of the created order. That he alone is self-sufficient and self-existent, and that he has life In and of Himself. But what do we mean when we say that God is independent or self sufficient? Because I think we often use these terms, as we've already spoken about, in very human ways, right? As Americans, every July 4th, we celebrate our independence. Is that what we mean when we speak about God's independence? As parents. We're, we're called to train up our kids. And in a sense, we're, we're teaching them to be self-sufficient, to be independent of us. We're trying to teach them and train them up to these things. And there's this gradual process by which our children become self-sufficient or independent of their parents. But is this what we mean when we speak about God, that He sort of has this process of becoming independent is the God of Scripture, like the pagan gods of the ancient Near Eastern myths who are in process, who are on their way to independence in a sort of divine becoming in which God has to break free and become self-sufficient and independent on his own. The answer to that question is no. (laughs) The God of the Bible is not in process. He is not dependent when we speak of God's aseity, his independence, and his self sufficiency, we are speaking in an absolute and ultimate sense. That God is independent of the created order. That God exists in and of himself. Sam Renahan says it like this God is the only and sufficient explanation for his own existence. God does not cause His own existence. God simply exists. God simply exists. We can say this in the third person by saying, God simply is. God simply is. He has life in and of Himself, and He doesn't depend on anyone or anything to be the God that He is. We confessed it this morning in our confession of faith, When we said, God has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself. And he alone is self-sufficient in and unto himself. This is what we mean when we speak about God's aseity. Now this might seem very abstract and kind of confusing, but really what we're saying when we speak about this is what we often refer to as the creator-creature distinction. The creator-creature distinction, this infinite distance between God the creator and everything that he has made. Or we could say it like this, the infinite gap between God and everything not God. This is the creator-creature distinction, that to be creature, by definition, is to be created, (laughs) Hopefully I haven't lost you there, right? To be a creature is to be created. It is to have our being, our existence, derived from another. We are not the sufficient cause of ourselves. We did not create ourselves. We did not cause ourselves to be. If someone ex- asked you, why do you exist? And you answered them, I am. They'd laugh at you, okay? You are not the, ex- You're not the reason for your own existence, It would kind of be like if you walked into your kid's room, and after after having just cleaned it, and there's toys everywhere, and the floor is messy, and you ask them, "Why is your room dirty?" and they said, "Because it is." (laughs) No, there was a cause for their room being dirty. Right? That is not a sufficient explanation for why the room is dirty. Everything created. Is dependent upon a prior cause for its existence. A room doesn't just get dirty by itself. We know that as parents. And the same is true of us as creatures. We did not cause ourselves to be. Everything created is dependent upon something for its existence. But that's not the case with God. That's not the case with God, the Creator. His existence is underived. And independent of His creation. Our existence is derived from Him and dependent upon Him. But God is assay. He has life in and of Himself. The Dutch theologian Herman Vaubank said it like this, All that God is, He is of Himself. All that God is, He is of Himself. God is, is the reason for God. <laughs> God is being, God is not becoming. He's not on his way to some better version of himself. God is not derived or caused to be, God simply is. Or if we wanted to use more biblical language and put this in the first person, when God speaks about himself, he simply says, I am that brings us to our second point this morning, the independence and the self-sufficiency of God, that we see in our passage this morning in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, that God reveals his name to his servant Moses. And in the context is that God has promised to deliver Israel from its bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he has said that he will send his servant Moses to accomplish this redemptive work that we refer to as the Exodus. But we see in verse 11 that Moses, as he comes before God in this theophany of the burning bush, he recognizes and confesses his own self-insufficiency to be able to complete this work. If you look at verse 11, he says, Who am I? (laughs) Who am I? Who am I to do this work? I am a nobody. I am weak. I am totally insufficient in and of myself. I cannot accomplish this work. Who am I? And so to assure Moses and the people of Israel of God's perfect sufficiency to accomplish this work, of seeming impossible salvation, God reveals his name, indicating the reason for his perfect reliability. And when Moses expresses his utter self insufficiency and weakness, saying, Who am I? God answers with his perfect self sufficiency by saying, I am not only revealing who he is and what he is, but that he is. He is God. God reveals himself as the one who is, period. (laughs) No additions, no subtractions, the God who simply is. And we read about this in Exodus 3, 14, when God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. I am the one who is perfectly sufficient for his own existence and therefore perfectly sufficient for you. I don't depend upon anyone or anything to be who I am. I am who I am. Therefore, you can depend upon me. I am perfectly sufficient in your insufficiency. I like what James Dolzell said about this passage. He said, it's as if God is saying, I am not the one who depends upon anyone or anything to be who I am. Therefore, depend upon me. God is saying, I don't depend on anyone or anything. And that is the reason that you can depend upon me. But this idea of God's perfect self-sufficiency, this doctrine of God's aseity, also means that God does not stand in need of anything that he has made. God does not stand in need of anything that he has made. We can say this by talking about God's independence. This is how older writers would refer to this. Auseity is this positive idea of God being of himself and independence is kind of put it negatively. God is not dependent on anything that he has made. If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 17, we'll see this reflected in the words of the apostle Paul. Acts chapter 17, we'll be looking at verses 24 and 25. That Paul here is speaking to the philosophers on Mars Hill and he's He's really doing apologetics in one sense. He's speaking to these pagan philosophers and he sees that they have this statue to this unknown God, this God that they don't know the name of. And so he says, therefore, what you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And he goes on to say this, that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. We see here the Apostle Paul says, it is God who made heaven and earth and he does not live in temples made by human hands. Kind of referencing back to what we talked about last week, God's incomprehensibility, that even though God instructed the people of Israel to build a temple. That temple did not contain God. It did not comprehend God. And so Paul is telling the people that God does not live. He is not contained in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, referring to God's independence. And I think this might strike us as odd at the beginning, nor is he served by human hands. I thought, our job as Christians was to serve God. I thought our purpose was to serve and worship God. How can Paul say that God is not served by human hands? What he is saying is that when we serve God, God is not receiving from us something that God lacks. That our service to God does not improve God or make God better than He was before. And then I love what Paul says in the latter part of verse twenty-five. He says, "As though God needed anything, <laughs> He's not served by human hands. As though He needed anything, that God is all say. He has the fullness of life in and of Himself. God is the giver, not the receiver of life and being." And he concludes in verse twenty-eight by saying, "For." In Him we live and move and have our being. That God lives in and of Himself. We live and move and have our being in Him, not the other way around. And so we see as we reflect on these passages, not only our total dependence upon God for our very being, but His total independence from creation. But as we think about these things and as we consider them from Scripture, I think that we can begin to have these kind of difficult questions come into our head. Questions like this, if God is so independent, does that mean that He does not care about the world? Is he unconcerned with his creation and the things that he has made? If God is so infinite, if God is so independent of his creation, does that mean he's not concerned with what happens in his creation? Are we talking about the God of deism that sort of winds up the quack of creation, but is not involved in the world that he has made? He has nothing to do with his creation. He does not act in or upon creation. The world that he has made. But what we see in scripture is that it is actually because of God's aseity that he is able to act in this world in his works of creation, his works of providence, and his works of salvation. And that even though God is independent of creation, he is outside of time We see in Scripture that He is pleased to reveal Himself in time and unfold His sovereign purposes of salvation in the fullness of time and in the person and the work of Christ. And that leads us to our third point this morning, the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. That we see from Scripture that it is clear that our God is indeed independent, and all-sufficient. But we also see that we do not worship the God of deism, the God that is aloof to what is going on in the world, the God that is distant from all that he has made. We see that we worship the God who is a who is life in and of himself, and yet who is pleased to reveal himself to us in Scripture. That even though God is self-sufficient, he is pleased to work in And upon his creation, that the same God who created the world from nothing, even though he did not have to, is the same God who condescends to create Adam and Eve and enter into covenant with them in the garden. The same God who providentially upholds and governs all things from the least to the greatest is the same God who purposes all things for the good of His people, the church of Christ. And the same God who sovereignly permitted the fall into sin to occur is the same God who sent forth His Son, In the fullness of time, to be the redeemer of God's elect people. And we read about this this morning in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 that a God who is outside of time, in the fullness of time, came and sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That the Son of God assumed our nature in the Incarnation, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He assumed our duties being born under the law. And He assumed our liabilities by taking the punishment that our sin deserved. That the God who is utterly self-sufficient and independent is indeed at work in His creation, revealing His eternal purposes of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is so important for us to understand that God reveals Himself in the fullness of time in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by reducing His aseity or His independence in the Incarnation, but by revealing to us His utter sufficiency for us and for our salvation in Christ. And we have this confirmed for us in the Gospel of John, that the same One who spoke to Moses from the burning bush has spoken to us in the Incarnation. If we go to John chapter 8, we see that when Jesus' authority and divinity is being questioned by the crowd's Jesus says in John 8, verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Not only claiming to be God, to be Yahweh of the Old Testament, but declaring His utter self-sufficiency and self-existence as the I am that I am or we could say it a different way. In John chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus says, For just as the Father has life in Himself, so also He has granted the Son to have life in and of Himself. This is the blessed fellowship of our triune God dwelling together in eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the aseity of our triune God. This is the God of Scripture. This is the God that we worship, who is totally self-sufficient and not dependent on anyone or anything. This is what we mean when we talk about God's aseity. And so as we come to the end of this um, passage and as we contemplate and think about these things, it's important for us to try to apply these things to our lives. And I think that if we're honest, these things can feel very distant. They can feel like just heady doctrines, just head knowledge. And it's important for us to do this work of considering these things and thinking about how they apply to us. And we're going to look at three things this morning by way of application. And the first thing I'm gonna say is gonna sound like very bad news, okay? So just prepare yourself. The first thing I'm gonna say is gonna sound harsh, it's gonna sound like bad news, but in fact, and in reality, it is actually very good news, okay? Are you ready? The first thing is this, God does not need you. God does not need you. In fact, God does not need anything. God does not need anything. Brothers and sisters, we don't serve a needy God. We don't serve a God who before creation was lonely and somehow needed someone or something to fill this lonely place he had in his heart. And yet this view of God as being eternally lonely and in need of creation to satisfy this, this, this place he had in his heart is all too common in our day there's a popular worship song, has over 500 million views on YouTube. That's more than most secular songs, okay? So this song is not by any means um, insignificant. It's extremely popular. And in the song, this, the lyric of one of the verses says, speaking about God, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. And that line, you didn't want heaven without us, seems to imply that God was somehow lonely or needy before creation and that he needed our company in order to fulfill him or bring him to this final state of happiness. But that is not the case. Our God is a se. He is self-sufficient. He is never using us or creation to become a better version of himself. As one theologian said, God is not the Alpha on His way to an Omega. Rather, He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. God is sufficient in and of Himself and does not stand in need of anything that He has made. We confessed this this morning when we said that God does not stand in need of any creature which He hath made, nor deriving any glory from them. And I think when we hear that, we can think, what? I thought my purpose was to glorify God. First, you tell me I can't serve God. And now you're saying that I can't glorify God. What does it mean when we say that God does not derive any glory from his creatures? What we're saying is that when we glorify God... We do not make God more glorious than he is. We do not add to his infinite glory. Rather, we reflect his glory back to him. That we need God and we depend upon God for everything. He does not need us. And that, brothers and sisters, is a very good thing. That our God is self sufficient in and of himself, and that he chose to create us out of the overflow of his goodness and mercy, not to fill some hole in his heart. And this leads us to our second point this morning, is this idea of aseity and apologetics. Aseity and apologetics. Aseity, as we've talked about, is this idea of God's self-sufficiency, this attribute of God. And apologetics is the discipline of defending the faith. And you might think to yourself, what do these two things have to do with each other right paul, uh, peter says in 1 peter 3:15 that we need to have a reason for the hope that is in us we need to have a reason for the faith that we believe it is not just blind faith that we believe in god but rather it is it is a reasonable faith and we see in acts 17 the apostle paul is actually utilizing these attributes of god like incomprehensibility and god's aseity god's independence in doing apologetics. (laughs) He is trying to convince these people that the God that they worship as the unknown God is rather the true and living God from Scripture. He is the one who is ause, who is in and of Himself. And actually, if you look at the history of the church, the doctrine of God's osseity is actually one of the oldest arguments for the existence of God. Why is there something rather than nothing? God is the reason. (laughs) He is the unmoved mover. He is the uncaused cause. He is the one that is not dependent upon anyone or anything for his creation. Rather, he is the mover who was unmoved. He is the cause that is uncaused. And it's just almost funny to to watch modern-day physicists talking about quantum mechanics and how the universe actually came from nothing and that nothing has matter and substance and all these things. And they they claim that the universe came from nothing, literally nothing. And it's almost simplistic to think about how unreasonable that is and how illogical that is. Someone who is not caused cannot be, (laughs) someone who is, Cause to be cannot come from nothing. And so uh, when we're speaking about God, we're not saying that He is this first cause of many causes. We're saying He is the uncaused cause. And this is the reason for people to put their faith in God because He is the one that has given them everything. As Paul says, in Him we live and move and have our being. That he is the one that has given even unbelievers everything that they could possibly want breath and life, rain and sun. And he does not stand in need of anyone or anything. And that is why he is worthy of our worship. And so we can plead with the unbeliever don't put your faith in nothing as the cause of the universe. Rather, put your faith in the God of Scripture who is the uncaused cause. But Thirdly and finally, as we think about this doctrine of God's auseity and his self-sufficiency, we need to look first and foremost at our weakness and our insufficiency. We need to look first at our weakness and our insufficiency, that we serve a God who is totally sufficient in and of himself. He is the all-sufficient one. Everything we have is from him, as we just spoken about. In him we have life And breath and everything. (laughs) I love how Paul adds that at the end. We have life, we have breath from him, and in case we forget anything, we have everything from him. Everything we have is from God. Our God is utterly generous, both to the just and the unjust, in his common grace, giving from the overflow of his goodness, not giving to better himself, but taking pleasure in doing good to his people. And in creation, and everything we have is from Him. And when we see this, we see how totally and utterly dependent we are upon Him, not only for our origin, but for our continued existence as creatures. Why are you and I alive today? Why do we have breath in our lungs? Why do we have being? It is not because of ourselves it is because god is sustaining and upholding us he is giving you your very being <laughs> and so as believers we need to recognize our weakness and our insufficiency we need to recognize our weakness and our insufficiency that as christians we are not sufficient in and of ourselves actually we are totally insufficient, (laughs) not only for our creation, but for our salvation, right? That we cannot save ourselves any more than we can create ourselves. That we are dependent upon God, not only to give us life, but give us new life in Christ. We are dependent upon Him, not only for our creation, but our salvation, and I think that we forget this often in times of suffering or in our fight against sin when we feel our weakness most acutely. We feel our frailty and our insufficiency. And we can cry out with the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 2 when he says, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? And the answer in and of ourselves is no one. No one is sufficient for these things. No one is able to save themselves, to create themselves, to fight this fight against sin. No one is sufficient in and of ourselves. But that's what's so comforting and amazing about God's ausseity, about His independence and self-sufficiency. Because we can depend on the one who is utterly independent. We have our sufficiency in the one who is utterly sufficient in and of himself. And we can have hope this morning because the same God who is the I am took on flesh in the person and the work of Christ to save his people from their sins. That if God is sufficient and if Christ is God incarnate, then Christ is sufficient. Sufficient for all of our needs, not by reducing his osseity, but by revealing to us His utter sufficiency for us, delivering us from the bondage and slavery to sin and death, and accomplishing this work of redemption despite our insufficiency and our weakness, that He might not only be our Creator, but our Redeemer and Friend, because He is the God who is all-sufficient." And Paul will go on in in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 to say that our sufficiency is not at all of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. So we need to look to Christ this morning. We can look to our God who is all sufficient and that the work that he began on us, he will indeed bring to completion. And I want to close with these words from John Flavel. He says, did Christ finish His work for us? Then there can be no doubt, but that that He will also finish His work in us. The God who finished His work for us will also finish His work in us. Our God is all-sufficient. We are weak, we are insufficient in and of ourselves, but Christ is sufficient to save, to redeem, to sanctify, to glorify, And we can say that all of our life comes from him. And um, I wanted to close with these words from one theologian. He said, let us conclude that all of our springs are in him and that all we enjoy and hope for is from him who alone is the author and finisher of our faith and the fountain of all of our blessedness. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 11, for from him and through him, And to Him are all things, and to Him belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we we thank You for Your all-sufficiency, that we who are weak and totally insufficient in and of ourselves can rely upon You, that in our weakness, in our fight against sin, We're often tempted to rely on ourselves in our times of trial, in our times of suffering, doubt, our times of grief and mourning. We can be tempted to rely on our own flesh for our sufficiency, failing to recognize that the only reason we have been is because you are giving it to us. And so this morning, may we look to you and your all sufficiency as our only hope, not only of Existing, but our only hope of salvation. That Christ is indeed sufficient for us. He has done everything. He has accomplished the work of salvation for us in his life and death upon the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that we would put our faith in him, we would rest in him, and that by the power of your Spirit, Lord, you would help us to take hold of these things. And rely upon you, the God who is life in and of itself. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.